0: It was the viral pandemic of the ancient world. Everyone knew about it, and everyone was frightened by it. And while their primitive medical science didn't yet know our modern terms, they certainly understood the concepts of infectious and contagious. And they feared the tragic consequences should there ever be an outbreak of this dreaded disease. No one knew exactly what caused it, or even all the symptoms associated with it. There were telltale signs at the beginning to be sure, but this disease could progress in a dozen different directions. Physicians tried to treat it, but their success was severely limited. Misinformation abounded, and citizens reacted either with crippling caution or callous carelessness to the news of yet another diagnosis in their vicinity. But as the plague continued to take thousands of lives, reality eventually set in. There was no cure. This disease was all too serious, and it was all too often fatal. The only thing that seemed to slow the progress of the plague at all was social distancing. Governments were criticized and misunderstood as they tried to act in the best interests of their citizens because the measures they espoused seemed harsh and unwarranted, and the rules they imposed were inflexible and burdensome. Don't gather No crowds, stand apart, stay away, no touching, no handshakes, no hugs, self-quarantine, self-isolate. But by far, the most difficult restriction for anyone who had the misfortune of contracting the disease was separation from their family and friends. One diagnosis could totally upend normal life and the distancing dragged on forever. No birthday parties, no weddings, no funerals, no grandchildren, no visits of any kind because there was no cure and just your presence could endanger others. So you were required to stay away. It was the law. It felt awkward to wear that mask, as if you were advertising to everyone that you were unclean. But it was the law, and there was nothing you could do but comply. Your mouth could spread germs, after all, especially when you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, every time someone came too close. And to add insult to injury, you had to tear your clothes, too, announcing to all that you were sick, diseased, a carrier of the epidemic. It was demeaning, embarrassing, distressing, humiliating. But there was no cure. And you shouldered the blame and the shame, even though you had no idea how you had contracted the virus. It was totally unfair, but it was the law. Leviticus 13, verse 45. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is Unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Yes, leprosy terrified people in ancient times. It appeared in various forms and stages of infection, but once it became malignant, it was a terminal, debilitating condition. The skin turned white and became numb then began to erupt in ulcers all over the body. The limbs would swell and the hands and feet became distorted. The bones and internal organs would be affected as the disease spread and gangrene usually resulted. Leprosy was called sarat by the Jews and that word meant a smiting or a scourge. There was no way to deal with infectious leprosy in ancient times. Other than to separate the sufferers from the general population, putting them socially distanced without the camp. And brothers and sisters, in your Bible, every scholar worth their salt will tell you that leprosy in the scripture is always regarded as a type of sin. And when you read that ancient book of Leviticus, you can see just how much God hates sin by how much attention he gives to rooting out and destroying leprosy from within the camp of Israel. Leprosy is a dreadful disease. Most people, they think leprosy simply causes your skin to rot and fall off your body. But that's not really an accurate diagnosis. The only thing that leprosy really does is it destroys the body's nervous system. Leprosy simply causes you to not be able to feel anything. Leprosy causes your whole body to go numb. When someone's blind, they can't see. When someone's deaf, they can't hear. And when someone has leprosy, they cannot feel. Being blind and deaf are so uh, difficult, but they never killed anyone. And technically... Having leprosy never killed anyone either. But imagine what your life would be like if you had the plague called leprosy. A leper could be cutting vegetables, accidentally slice off a finger, and not even know it because they had no feeling. In extreme cold, a leper could freeze his fingers and his toes and never realize it. A leper could be sleeping by a campfire, roll too close to the flames and burn off a foot and never wake up. So a leper didn't technically die from leprosy but from the damage that they did to themselves because they had no feeling. And that is why leprosy is a perfect picture of sin. Sin causes you to lose all spiritual feeling just as leprosy causes its victims to lose all physical feeling. Sin causes our hearts to become hard and our conscience to become seared and so we can perform or witness the most evil and depraved acts of humanity and feel nothing but a detached disinterest. Internet, anyone? Have you ever thought just how hardened and desensitized our culture is to sin? Now, the law of Moses had been used many times to condemn people to a life of leprosy. That's a whole chapter, Leviticus 13. But even though that same law made provision for priests to examine those who claimed they had been cured, neither scripture nor Jewish history ever record that process, that procedure being used. Not even one time to cleanse a Jewish citizen from leprosy. That's Leviticus 14. It's another whole chapter starts out in verse 2 by saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. And it starts with, He shall be brought to the priests. I know what you're thinking. Yes, Naaman was healed of leprosy in 2 Kings chapter 5, but Naaman was not Jewish. And Jesus himself made that observation to the congregation in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, And it made them furiously angry, and they put him out of the synagogue. He said this in Luke 4 many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. In other words, he wasn't a Jewish citizen. So there's not one case in the entire Old Testament where chapter 14 of Leviticus was ever used. It never happened. Leprosy was incurable. Leprosy was impossible. Leprosy was fatal. Nobody ever, no priest ever had to use Leviticus 14 because not one Jewish citizen had ever been cured of leprosy. But suddenly, many lepers started to come to the priests asking for cleansing Many people started to find their irreversible disease reversed. And the priests had to dust off those ancient scrolls and relearn a ceremony that they had never used before. Do you know why? Because all of a sudden, God was walking among men and women in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why. And it happened more than once, but I want to take your attention this morning to the most famous passage, maybe the most important time it happened. Luke 17, this is verse 11. And it came to pass, as Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst, or in in other words, right on the border of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood a far off. In Luke 17, the Bible tells us that Jesus chose to travel along the border between Samaria and Galilee. It's not that important to know where it is on the map, but it's very important to understand the significance of that statement. The Jews considered Samaritans to be half-breeds. Samaritans were Jews who had intermarried with other people groups and so they were no longer full blooded, pure religious Jews. And that had caused unspeakable tension and prejudice and horrors over the years. And then Jesus comes along and he intentionally walks that border where nobody else dares to venture. He gets right between two people groups that hated each other and he loves them both and he walks in the midst of them. Jesus comes along. And if you can imagine, the Jewish Messiah starts to tell stories about the good Samaritan. And we see him having a conversation at a well with an anonymous, adulterous Samaritan woman. And now we see him walking the border between Samaria and Galilee. No, you don't need to know where it is. You just need to know why he did it. It's one of the dividing lines between two groups of people who literally detested each other and Jesus said, I don't do that. I don't act like that. I don't feel like that. I can walk right in the middle of that and I can touch both groups. And it is here. On that border, just outside that little nondescript village, that ten lepers encounter Jesus. But of course, the Bible tells us, they stood at a distance. Because leprosy was such a dreaded disease, those who had leprosy were cast off from the rest of society. They were expected to live outside the town. Often they had to live in garbage heaps, and they were expected to have no contact whatsoever with former friends or family. This was for the safety of those who did not have leprosy, and it was also for their emotional well-being, because seeing a leper who had an advanced case of the disease was a very distressing, traumatic thing. But on this day, those ten lepers, the Bible says, they lifted up their voices and they turned their attention in the one direction where maybe, just maybe, they could get some help when nobody else could help them or would help them. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, the words that had never been spoken in Israel about leprosy. Go, show yourselves unto the priests. You can imagine how quick they began that journey. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed, all ten of them. It was an astounding miracle. Leprosy is a lot like sin, isn't it? Sin separates us from God so that the only thing we can do is stand at a distance and say, God, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. But apparently, these lepers had heard of the healing power of Jesus. So in that momentous moment of time, they called out to him, for mercy and healing. This is how we call out for, to God when we become how aware of how sinful we are. Oh, many people in the world, I know the leprosy in them, the sin in them, it is so severe that it has taken them past feeling. They can't even sense that they're sinners, they can't even sense that they're in trouble. They can't even sense that they're distanced from God. They can't even sense that they're destroying their own lives. They can't even see that spiritually they are a rotting, decaying, putrefying corpse. But if you ever come to that moment where you can see yourself as the scripture describes you, then you will call out to God for mercy. You say, that's so negative. No, only in the world's eyes. That That's such a downer. No, only in the world's eyes. You see, for all of us that have come here today, that we one day did cry out to Jesus for mercy, it wasn't a downer. It wasn't negative. It is the momentous occasion of our lives. It is ground zero. It is the beginning of everything else. It is the moment that all things became new. It's our for a moment when we cried out for mercy and said I'm clean and Jesus said I can do something about that Amen. Jesus simply said to them go show yourselves unto the priests according to Leviticus 14 that previously unused chapter of the Bible that's exactly what you were supposed to do if you were ever healed of leprosy so these men knew exactly what Jesus was saying if you believe in me If you'll obey what I just told you, you will be cleansed, you will be healed. And the Bible tells us that as they went, as they responded, they were cleansed of leprosy. Can I tell somebody that as You respond to Jesus in this service this morning. You can be healed. You can be cleansed. You can be changed. (laughs) Whoa. Can you imagine the joy they all felt at that moment? They who were outcast. They who had no hope. They who had no future to look forward to. Now... They had received their lives back. They could now go home to their friends and their family. They could hug and kiss their wives again. They could play with their children and grandchildren again. They were cleansed. And in that moment of excitement, no wonder they began to run. Because the quicker they got to the priest, the quicker they could go home for the first time in years, but one of them, when he saw that he was healed, when he saw what Jesus had done for him, when he saw that his leprosy was gone, when he saw that his life had been forever altered, he turned back. And he said, with a, and with a loud voice, he began to glorify God. And he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, that shouldn't happen because Jewish culture taught us that God and Jesus were different. The Jews didn't believe that Jesus was God. But this Samaritan who wasn't a Jew and had no more sense than to understand that if somebody could heal you from sin that was God. If somebody could turn your disease around in one miraculous touch, that was God. So although he didn't know any theology, he got it exactly spot on right in that moment. He began to glorify God with a loud voice and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet because he got it. This Jesus is God and this God just healed me. You know what? We got it today as well. This Jesus is God and only God could free me from sin so that's why we glorify and magnify the name of Jesus there was one of them who didn't run and he was a Samaritan he turned around and he headed back to Jesus the scripture simply says, and one of them, no name, no identifying features, no family background, and one of them, when he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And you know, the story of the 10 lepers is often used by pastors to teach thankfulness. And basically in those lessons, we're saying nine out of 10 people have Incredibly bad manners. We're saying that when somebody helps you, you should at least have the common courtesy to stop and say thank you. But there's more going on here than a lesson about thankfulness. For one thing, there's that little sentence that Luke drops like a rock in the middle of this story. And he was a Samaritan. Oh my. The one who came back to thank Jesus was a double outcast. He was a leper, and he was a foreigner. In his ministry, Jesus did what no one else would do, what no one else could do. Jesus made a point of touching unclean people, including lepers, And that woman with the issue of blood. And that adulterous woman at the well. And even the dead. No one else did that. Those who were lepers were not allowed to go to church because they had a disease. But those who were Samaritans were not even wanted at church because they were different, dirty, disgusting detested. They didn't need leprosy to be shunned. They were shunned because they were thought to be dirty. The nine ran to the temple. But where can a Samaritan go? A Samaritan isn't allowed in the temple. Go show yourself to the priest. A Samaritan can't show himself to a Jewish priest. A Samaritan doesn't fall under the rules of Leviticus 14. There's no priest who would declare a Samaritan clean. As far as most Jews were concerned, he was born unclean and he would die unclean, leprosy notwithstanding. Do you know why he went back to Jesus? He went back to Jesus because Jesus was all he had. That's why he went back to Jesus. Of all the outcasts in Luke 17, this double outcast was the most grateful because when no one else would help and when no one else could help and when no one else even wanted him around and when no, everyone else looked at him with disgust, Jesus healed him of the disease that had crippled his body and devastated his family and ruined his life and he did it in a moment of time and our God still does the very same kinds of things today. Music come back. Samaritans didn't have priests so he ran back to Jesus because Jesus was the only priest he knew. It was like Simon Peter said one time, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Can I stand here on a Sunday morning in the month of June 2020 and can I say, Jesus, where else would we go? To who else would we turn? Nobody else could help some of the ex addicts that are in this building. They tried. Other people tried. People prayed and tried and shamed and guilted and nagged and it didn't work until one moment that Jesus touched them and it changed everything. That's why we turn to Jesus. People sitting in this building that the doctors kind of just shook their head said, We can't help. We're so sorry. But they're here today because one moment in the presence of Jesus changed everything. And we've still got some people, some of them are watching online right now and some of them are in this building right now and they are suffering in their body tragically and tremendously, but Jesus still has the power in one moment of time. He can heal when the doctors walk away. He can heal when all of us are giving up hope. He can heal when there is no other logical reason to keep believing. But Jesus, in one moment, can touch. Say, you're not very dignified. I didn't intend to come here dignified. I intended to come here as a worshiper. I'm running to Jesus because Jesus is the only priest that I know and he's the only priest I need. He's the only one that can help. That's why I'm running to Jesus. Oh my goodness, lift up your voice and give Jesus praise. Oh, 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 oh. And one of them. It doesn't have to be everybody. And one of them. Remember Jesus told this story, I'm almost done. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, would not leave the 90 and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? (laughs) You don't have to feel like you belong. You don't have to feel like everybody loves you. You don't have to feel like your life is on an upward trend. You don't have to feel like you've got your act together. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to be a church member. Jesus is looking for the one. And one of them, if just one of them turns to God, this service will be worth it in heaven's eyes he ran back to Jesus because otherwise he had no priest years later the writer of Hebrews says for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but he was on all points tempted like as we are (laughs) yet without sin you failed he never failed you messed up he never messed up You fell flat on your face. He never fell flat on his face. Let us therefore, because of that, in light of the above, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the only priest I know that can help you and Jesus is the only priest you need. Now in this building this morning because of restrictions because there's a virus it's awkward. We're seated separately, we're distanced. And we're not permitted and we understand and we we're we're good. We're not permitted to have a come to the front altar service where we gather in closely and we lay hands on each other and we miss that that's hard we don't like that we'll get there eventually but we're not there today but I have wonderful news that when the ten start running to the priest and nine continue on when the ten can't touch you in here if you'll turn to him there's one who can touch you you say but i'm just one would he care oh he always cares for the one and he's just waiting to touch you so when i can't touch you he can touch you when i can't heal you he can heal you when i can't help you oh yeah he can help you and when i can't save you he can save you oh my goodness I'm so grateful for the presence of God and I'm sorry if I'm not quite dignified or pulled together enough for you. But I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. So if you lift your hands as if you were putting up an antenna to get a radio signal or something and if you just lift up your voice and reach out to Jesus, Jesus can touch someone in a moment of time and do something totally unexpected, totally uh, unrealistic but he can jump over realistic he can jump over expected and he can do the miraculous because Jesus is in this room and where Jesus is everything is different I know you can't come running down the aisle but I wish you'd stand as an act of looking to Jesus and just kind of run to him in your spirit run to him with your voice run to him with your uplifted hands run to him with your prayer right now. Jesus wants to reach over all of the social distancing and come close to you right now and touch your life. So would you let him? We got five minutes to let Jesus do it. We got five minutes to let Jesus touch somebody. We got five minutes to let the tears flow. We got five minutes for somebody to be healed. We've got five minutes for somebody to begin a new life today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Shut up for oh somebody lift up your voice and pray in the spirit right now jesus is moving in this room